This audio presentation was pre-recorded and edited for brevity and clarity. Good afternoon. I'm Michael Buckley with the Bright Focus Foundation, and welcome to today's Bright Focus Chat, AMD in Challenging Times, Tips for Living Well and Coping. If today's your first time on a Bright Focus Chat, welcome. Just uh, as background, Bright Focus funds some of the top researchers in the world trying to find cures for macular degeneration, glaucoma, and Alzheimer's. And we'd like to share the latest news from these scientists with families that are impacted by these diseases. That's why our website, brightfocus.org, has, has a lot of free publications and resources. And we also have today's Bright Focus Chat, which is a way of uh, hearing directly from, from some of the leading experts uh, related to vision health and, and aging. And now I'd like to tell you um, who we have with us today. It's a returning guest. We're very fortunate to have Dr. Deidre Johnston. She's a geriatric psychiatrist at Johns Hopkins University in Baltimore. And Dr. Johnston helps lead a number of programs that are aimed to help older adults remain in their community for as long as possible and to be happy and safe and thriving uh, living, living in their own home. She has been uh, helping lead a number of programs in the city of Baltimore to do that, and she's also been a part of a big research project at Bright Focus, at Bright Focus Foundation to, to that end. And you know, she's with us today because these are obviously very challenging times for people of all ages and, and all across the country, but I think particularly for people who are impacted by, by age-related vision disease, such as macular degeneration and glaucoma. So that's why we, we were very fortunate that Dr. Johnston agreed to, uh, to return to the Bright Focus chat. So with that, um, Dr. Johnston, thank you very much for, for coming back today. You're very welcome. I'm delighted to be here. Thank you for inviting me. Oh, great. I'm sure all of us are curious about a wonderful accent that you have. So I was wondering if you could just tell us uh, where, you, where you grew up and how did you get into such a, uh, a valuable um, line of work? So I grew up in the west of Ireland, and my mother was a, a district public health nurse. Um, she had patients, multiple patients she visited at home, and a lot of them were older adults. And so I, when I was a child, I would often follow her on her rounds. I'd go with her and, and meet her patients. And um, she would make sure they all had their medications and give diabetics their insulin, etc. And she'd also make sure that they had fresh food and address any other issues that might cause problems for them. And then she'd sit and have tea with them and chat with them. And this was really lovely for me as a child. I loved meeting her patients and hearing their stories, uh, especially people who lived long lives and they had the best stories. So my mom knew very well and uh, her visits meant a lot to them because she kept them well at home and that's where they wanted to be. And a lot of them were dealing with all kinds of challenges, but they were at home. Um, so, uh, so it was clear to me even as a child that seeing patients in their homes was a better way to take care of older adults, especially people who had sensory and mobility and cognitive challenges. And because I liked their stories, I, that ended up with um, me choosing geriatric psychiatry as a career because not alone is it all about the, the medical stuff, it's also about patient stories. Mm. No, that's great. Very, uh, it's interesting that the, the what you found growing up in Ireland, I think, is still true today here in the U.S. And in your work, uh, the different programs you lead in the city of Baltimore, are there kind of common, typical problems or challenges that older adults face um, who wish to remain in their home? Um, well, there, there are many. Um, I, I like to emphasize that aging isn't all bad. Um, you know, sometimes it's tempting to see the challenges before we see the 
before we see the benefits. And, you know, as older adults, as we age, we, we develop more insight into things and we uh, have a lot more experience to draw on. And we tend to be resilient if we make it into our older years, uh, we tend to be pretty resilient. Um, so there's that's the positive. Um, and some of us get there with all kinds of um, problems uh, to deal with, but we get there. Um, so some of the things that people struggle with, um, you know, our bodies age and they change and uh, things crop up. Uh, we're like any, any aging, and I could include myself in this, uh, we're like any aging uh, machine. Um, uh, we, you know, things break and go wrong and need, need maintenance and tuning more often. Um, but chronic health conditions um, are, you know, there's very, there are very few people in their 80s, 70s even, who, are, who don't have one chronic health condition. And some people have several. Um, many of my patients have several. Many of the patients that I see in their homes have several, and they're continuing to, to function. Um, and then, you know, social isolation can be an issue, and that can be um, actually made worse by sensory problems. Um, sometimes visual and auditory problems can, can worsen. Uh, socialize can worsen, worsen the loneliness that comes with social isolation, and and um, you know, and and those those issues can also lead to medication errors and to falls. Um, you know, being unable to keep the environment clear, uh, or or for many reasons, there are many reasons why people might not be able to take care of their environment, and um, you know, sometimes people don't have the physical capacity to do it, sometimes people don't know that things need to change a little bit so that you can stay safe, uh, and yeah. Uh, yeah. So, Sorry, yeah, I think it's really interesting to talk about the connections between a lot of these challenges. Um, you know, as you know, uh, through your work and what we do at Bright Focus is working on both um, uh, vision and um, and uh, Alzheimer's issues. Is there a connection between vision loss and dementia? Does one does one exacerbate the other, kind of in either direction, vision loss and dementia? Uh, yeah, there is a relationship between the two. Uh, and what we know is that there's a slightly increased risk of dementia with impairment in one sensory modality. Uh, but the risk actually increases with the number of sensory impairments. But, but there's also evidence that if you identify the problem and manage it, if you identify and manage the sensory impairment early, that can actually mitigate the, the increased risk of dementia. It can actually soften the blow, as it were, and, and, and maintain function for longer. And really, I, I think that uh, the, the common factor in both uh, impaired vision and hearing is understimulation uh, and isolation and reduced physical activity. And all of these things are known to accelerate cognitive decline. So you need to stimulate your brain in order to keep it working. If you don't, uh, it sort of kind of slows down and, and, and gets less sharp. So um, you have to adopt lifestyle changes um, to address these risk factors. And that can actually help your cognitive uh, health and maximize your function and quality of life. And I know it's not easy, but we can do it. Yeah, that's interesting. In your work in you know the programs that you're a part of in Baltimore, such as Mind at Home and others, are there common steps or, or themes that help people be able to remain in their home and in their community? Well, it, it always helps to have support, and you know sometimes people are fortunate that they have family members that are 
that are there, um, you know, in the background that can, you know, and also in contact with them regularly. There's also social connectedness is actually a, a, a big thing. Um, staying in front, in, in touch with friends and family, even by phone, can actually help a person feel connected and uh, and function better. Um, I had a 102 year old patient have her. She's still she's still alive. She's 102. She's got real mobility problems, but she calls and talks to her friends and and, and relatives every day. She has a list of people she calls every day. And she chats to them, and she can't leave her apartment, and she has multiple health problems. But uh, she's in contact with people every day, and she's very alert. And I, I think that's the thing that is actually keeping her alert, that she's making the effort to reach out to people and talk to them. Yeah, that's, that's really admirable. You can do. Yeah, <laughs> great advice for all ages. And kind of to, to that point, Dr. Johnson, we just got a, a question, um, you know, kind of related to to the the. The person you just mentioned, the the, the 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 listeners says, how do I deal with the depression and anger that comes from having trouble seeing things? Um, how well, does that's, you, that's, you know? Sort of, yeah, do you see that in your practice? Yeah, I, I do, and and you know, I, I, dealing with any um, any you know new challenge as you age, it, it doesn't get easier. And and it is you know it is common to feel defeated and 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 to feel angry that you're having to deal with this and that's kind of a normal reaction really to to finding yourself facing something really tough um, through no fault of your own um, you know these things can happen and you know you can use a lot of energy being angry uh, and. You know, you can also suffer from clinical depression, which is, uh, you know, treatable actually. So it's, and there, there's, you know, indicators of clinical depression. It's not just like being sad or upset. It, there's, a, there's a whole, uh, there's a pattern to clinical depression that we recognize and we, and we treat it. And there is treatment for it. So if you're feeling so depressed that you can't function, uh, then it is a good idea to talk to your doctor about that because that can be treated. Um, now, part of getting part of dealing with depression is actually doing some of the things that I mentioned, like reaching out and staying in contact with people. Uh, dealing with anger uh, is is a challenge, and you know sometimes the anger gets better if you if the depression is treated. Uh, you know, different people have different ways of of dealing with things, and some people, instead of letting themselves get sad or depressed, they get angry. Um, so it could be say in spectrum. Um, however, you know. There are strategies you can use to uh, help you manage your feelings about your situation, and you know I'm I'm pretty skeptical about um, about things that I'm told you know are out there that can help people. Uh, you know I have to see the evidence, um, but you know it turns out there's a non-medical um, there's a non-medical thing you can do, uh, and it's a practice you can do that can be very helpful uh, to manage those feelings. And, and, and people who, who get into the habit of using this do it every day and they report that it is very helpful. And the research that's been done on it uh, also confirms that it does help. So it's called mindfulness. And, and maybe some of you are familiar with mindfulness practice. Um, so I would strongly encourage anybody who's struggling to deal with the feelings they have associated with this situation um, to look into mindfulness. And you can do guided mindfulness practice uh, by you know, following along and 
auditory um, uh, there, there are apps you can download, there are tapes you can get, uh, and the, 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 um, the guide will take you through the exercises to do daily to help you get control of your feelings and to help you feel better. Uh, and it gives you a tool you can use when you start to feel that things are just getting to be too much. Um, so there is a there is a, a, a publication about that. There's a the leading um, uh, practitioner of is, is a man called John Kabat-Zinn actually, and he um, he has a number of publications. So if you're looking for something to read about it, I would start there. There's more, but I would start there. And I can give Michael that information for you if you yeah. if you want it. So. That would be great. We'll have that uh, here for folks who have questions. And kind of, Dr. Johnson, kind of staying on that theme of mental health and anxiety, and uh, uh, you know, as, as you know, um, older adults with macular degeneration and glaucoma need to be, uh, on, for the most part, on a, a pretty pretty regimented schedule of of, of doctor, you know, in office doctor visits and 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 treatments. How, you know, do, do you have advice for people that, you know, want to do the best they can for their vision health, but parallel to that also have a lot of concerns over the last two years about the pandemic and, you know, you know maybe public transportation or being in a in a medical office building? Um, you know, any, any recommendations for our listeners about kind of balancing those two things, wanting to wanting to do the right thing for their vision health, but also hearing two years of public messaging about, uh, you know, a contagious, a contagious disease. Yeah, it's been a pretty scary couple of years for a lot of people, um, particularly if you had health, health challenges to begin with. Um, and I remember when it all started and we were trying to figure out what on earth are we going to do? How are we going to make sure we take care of our patients? How are we going to see them? And uh, what, what is the safe thing to do? And of course, I had been doing telemedicine already, so I was able to start doing telemedicine right away, as as many people did, as many providers did. Um, so, but it, it's kind of you know the, the decision to come in and see your doctor is a decision. You know, it's am I going to be more at risk? Am I going to be uh, safer at home than I am in the doctor's office? So the telemedicine did help with that somewhat. There are some. You have to go into the doctor's office that cannot be done by telemedicine. And, you know, there are many treatments that people have to get, particularly macular degeneration, that you have to go in um, in, in person. Now, all providers have to follow a pretty strict protocol uh, to, to minimize the risk of transmitting the virus. And, you know, I think you can always ask your, your doctor's office what they, what they do, what are, what's required of them. And how they how they make sure that they maintain their patient's safety. They they will tell you that. They will describe to you what they're supposed to do. Um, you know, it, it it has eased up a little bit lately. And as long as you've been vaccinated uh, and and had your booster, you're actually very much protected. And it's safer going now to your doctor and safer being around people. I wouldn't go to any parties myself at the moment, but it is safer for us now. Well, that's, that's good. Uh, it's very reassuring advice. And I know that at Johns Hopkins, you're involved with efforts to make sure that, that you know, residents uh, in, in the city of Baltimore and elsewhere get the services they need. I mean, what are you seeing in the last year or two about older adults, particularly maybe those with vision uh, issues, getting help with transportation or maybe their caregivers getting some respite care or, you know, getting um, 
food, you know, uh, you know, uh, groceries and and meals. Like, what are, how would you describe the, I don't know, the, the current state of those challenges from your experience? Yeah, some people have, some people have been very creative, and families have stepped up. You know, uh, I have many patients who have not set foot outside their door for the past two years, unless they absolutely had to, uh, and their families have been bringing them. Uh, that what they need, and uh, you know, for them, that's working out quite well. And actually, some of them are qu- quite happy talking to me from their homes and not having to go out. Others kind of miss being able to get out. Some people used to like to go to senior centers and other activities, or to you know, the or, or their gym. That was hard for people to do, um, you know, during the pandemic. But they start that's starting to resume again. There is, you know, there is a difference between what you know, everybody's a little bit different and everybody's resources are a bit different. And there are some people who are more isolated than others because their families live at a distance or maybe they don't have any close family members. And it's been it's been quite difficult for, for that group of people. Um, and, and then there are people, of course, who, who maybe can't afford to, to, you know, get extra support for themselves. And, and though that's been a challenge for, for those people as well. Um, you know, there aren't a lot of really consistent resources for people who have uh, who have need for support in their homes, and that's one of the things we're working on at Hopkins is to build programs that that help people who are older and in need of support to help them stay well. Uh, there aren't enough of those programs around, but hopefully there will be more in the future. Yeah, no, I agree. It's tremendously valuable, and you know, kind of in your experience over the last two years with the with the the families you work with in Baltimore, how has the pandemic affected people's mental health? Um, you know, among older older adults and those that may have some health conditions, like how 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 are your clients doing? Yeah, that's interesting. Uh, like I said, I have some people who um, actually it didn't adversely affect their mental health. They managed to they managed to get through it, um, and without any recurrence of their anxiety or their depression. Uh, and those were people that tended to have more social supports and um, were less isolated. Now, I have other patients, however, who had maybe underlying anxiety or maybe were somewhat more isolated, or their their, their situations uh, were, were more challenging or un, unsteady, and they had more difficulty. And I did have some people who developed an escalation of their their anxiety, and 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 some people whose depression came back. Um, Actually, some people uh, who became depressed after being sick with COVID, um, so that turns out to be one of the things that we're seeing, which is another good reason to get vaccinated to prevent uh, to prevent yourself from catching it. Um, so, um, you know, people are amazingly resilient, really, uh, for the most part. Um, they have found ways to get through it without uh, without um, the de- their depression coming back. But there are those who who have more trouble. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Dr. Johnson, kind of on that point about mental health, we have a, a listener that is wondering um, why does anxiety seem to come in waves? That you know, sort of the good days and bad days. Uh, you know, what what sort of accounts for those peaks and valleys? Um, well, again, it varies from one person to another. Um, uh, if a person has an anxiety disorder. Uh, particularly lately, um, you know, the anxiety isn't far from the surface uh, and it doesn't take much to tip you into that anxious state. Again, that's one of those 
it's a good idea to, to um, look into mindfulness practice because that can help you manage that anxiety. Um, but some, some people don't, don't experience a whole lot of anxiety at baseline. That's just their personality. And some people have uh, anxious personality types and some actually have anxiety disorders. Um, it, it, anxiety can be a prominent part of depression, for instance, but it, that doesn't usually come in waves. That's usually fairly continuous if it's, if it's a clinical depression. But even with a clinically diagnosable anxiety disorder, it can wax and wane depending on the circumstance. I think, you know, that's... That's as good an answer as I can give you without knowing. Yeah, yeah I appreciate that. Right, obviously, it's in the, uh, you know, kind of a general topic for everyone. Um, now, kind of on that, sort of the issues of anxiety and depression, we know that um, sometimes that leads people to smoke or drink or use um, controlled substances, um, you know, in in, in excess. Um, but, you know, we also know that for, for uh macular degeneration and glaucoma and and, um, and dementia, uh, smoking is, is one of the greatest risk factors uh, for your for your vision health and for your brain health. Uh, I was wondering, kind of in your experience, particularly during you know the, the stress of the pandemic, what do you, you know, what to, what are your experience in trying to help people stop smoking to to not only to protect their overall health but particularly for their vision health? Um, what you know, what do you see in your experience? So actually, that's a very important topic. Uh, substance and alcohol use have become a, a, an actually increased public health issue uh, over the course of the pandemic because there, there is evidence that people are drinking more, they're smoking more, um, and um, you know the stress of the pandemic, the isolation, the boredom, all of that uh, has led people to increase their consumption of substances that aren't good for them. Not everybody, but, you know, people who may be susceptible have have suffered uh, in this way. Um, so I, I do work with um, people who have chronic mental illness in the community as well. And we have a program going for the patients that attend our clinic, our community psychiatry clinic, um, to address uh, smoking. And uh, it's a smoking cessation program. And we've been able to enroll many of our are chronically mentally ill patients who, who actually have a very hard time giving up smoking. Uh, we've been actually making progress in getting them on smoking cessation programs and helping them helping them uh, get off cigarettes, even during the pandemic. I mean, it says a lot for their motivation. It says a lot for how connected they feel to our doctors and, and, and teams that are taking care of them. And um, it says a lot for their, 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 their um, you know, they're just, uh, determination, really, uh, to 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 be well, uh, despite everything that's going on. So, you know, for older people, smoking is more hazardous, of course. And for people with chronic health conditions that are adversely affected by smoking, uh, it really is very harmful. And and and, uh, but you know all that. Um, smoking cessation programs are effective. They 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 work. Um, and if you want to stop smoking, talk to your doctor about a smoking cessation program. There are various things that can be done, uh, including medications that can be prescribed to help you stop smoking. Well, great. Congratulations on that accomplishment. That really, I think, really changed, changing people's lives. And um, another question about, uh, you know, related to, to, to mental health during the pandemic and just people living with low vision, um, you know, loneliness, um, I mean, do you think that's in, inevitable for people with um, 
you know, that are older or living by themselves or have vision challenges. I mean, do you have any advice to uh, to combat that, to like form or maintain connections with family and friends? Yeah, it's it's a thing that can happen uh, to anybody. You know, you maybe haven't been well for a while, you drop some of your social activities and it becomes more difficult to get to them. There may be physical barriers and it can become a real effort to try to keep up with the things that prevent loneliness. Um, so, yes, um, you know, there are things you can do. Uh, you know, you can find yourself actually depressed and lonely. I mean, loneliness can lead to depression in some cases. Uh, sometimes, however, the other the other applies. People who are feeling depressed don't feel like socializing. But, you know, that is something that needs to be addressed because, um, you know, social isolation isn't good for anybody. And even though it may take more of an effort to reach out to people that you care about, uh, and friends that you may, may not have talked to for a while, it is worth your while to reach out and 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 stay connected to people, um, make new friends. I, I mentioned I think earlier about or maybe I didn't, but my mother-in-law is 93 and she is going strong. And her, what she says, her advice is um, make friends that are younger than you. And then when your older friends pass away, you still have friends. You still have your young friends and uh, stay connected, even just for, you know, just coffee or, um, you know, a phone call, a chat. You can, um, you know, family updates or stories or books you might be listening to or reading. Um, all of those things you can do these days with uh, with technology can help us. Now, I, I'm not recommending social media. Um, that is one way people stay in contact and find uh, people out there. Um, I, social media can be very toxic. And unless you're in a group that focuses on a specific interest um, that's non-contentious, and there are a lot of contentious interests out there that people are getting immersed in, and it's really bad for their mental health. Um, but, you know, some people like to crochet, for instance. That would be a social media group you might if you get into a social media that would be the one to pick uh don't get down the rabbit hole all the other things you can get involved in but but stay using the media that we have available to us now to stay in touch with people who matter to you the people in your life who matter to you that's um that will keep you healthy and will probably help them as well yeah no it's great advice i see that my my mother lives alone in a rural part of the country with cold weather and and yeah no you're you're exactly right i i can tell when she has been able to get together with people either virtually or in person and i can tell when that's not happening so that's uh, tremendous advice so it's interesting when you you, know, you talk about how to you know work through these loneliness challenges and certainly good advice about the 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 smoking and i think one of the things that I, I kind of hear in a common thread is resilience. And we've heard a lot about resilience the last couple of years. And I think it's one of those terms that you hear all the time, but people don't exactly know what it means, or you know what it means, but it's easier easier said than done. I mean, what do you see in, in your experience about, like, what what is, in your opinion, like, what is resilience and how does somebody get it and, and live it out? I would just sort of address yeah, the topic of resilience. Yeah, there are a lot of different definitions of resilience. Um, it's very, you know, you're right. Uh, it's hard to know what's meant by it. But I, the, the one I like is um, acceptance of reality, a sense of purpose, and flexible thinking. 
And if you think about the three elements of that definition, those are tools you can use. Those are things that can guide you uh, to um, developing resilience, recognizing the reality and accepting it. And that again goes back to the anger. Instead of being anger, angry at it, um, you know, finding a sense of purpose. Finding your sense of purpose again, if you've lost something that was important to you, then, you know, finding meaning in your life again and making that a goal and then keeping your thinking flexible. And that's one of the things that happens to people sometimes, you know, as they, as they get sick or as maybe they get older, a bit more isolated, they tend to get a little bit stuck in their thinking. And, and one of the key things that can help you um, stay well and adapt is to be prepared to be flexible in your thinking and you know as you, as we get older we do tend to kind of you know things become familiar we don't have to figure too much out anymore because it's all familiar to us um, and, and it tends to get comfortable you know um, but then things pop up that require flexibility in us and you know it takes a conscious effort to recognize that you're in a situation that requires you to take a different approach, to be open to a different way of addressing this situation. And it's in your best interest to actually follow that, um, that, that uh, recommendation and, and to learn to develop some flexible thinking um, and, and, and you know, develop that muscle for flexible thinking. Yeah, and I think when you mentioned that, you know, uh, you know, honestly, you know, admitting and accepting adversity and resilience and flexible thinking, to me, that brings to mind driving. And in your experience in the community, uh, how how does what do you, how do you see driving or more most specifically stopping driving uh, affecting people's sense of self confidence and, and independence and, and resilience? It's got to be a tough topic. That really is a tough one, and it's one of the things that I, I know people get angry about when they're told they can't drive anymore, and it is a terrible threat uh, to know that you can't, you know, you're not going to be able to drive. How do you do the things that you normally used to do? How do you stay in contact with people? How do you stay independent? And it really is a, it's a big step in life to stop driving. However, you know, again, um, you know, it's better to, to do, to stop driving, of course, before something bad happens be proactive rather than reactive and this is again an example of flexible thinking being willing to think a little bit differently than you usually do and 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 be proactive and and, and protect yourself from um you know from the adverse consequences of, of making unwise decisions about driving but you know i i, I just another little story i have about a, one of my patients he called me one day he hadn't been there, he hadn't been driving for a while he had number of a number of issues um uh, and impaired vision couldn't couldn't really drive uh and he was he he was in a nice retirement community um but so he discovered there he had a smartphone and he discovered an app uh, that's similar to Uber or Lyft. I don't know if people are familiar with those, but they're great. They really are a great way of getting around. And he found one that actually was um, uh, the app was simplified so that a person who wasn't familiar with technology, and he was about 95, um, a person who wasn't familiar with technology could use it. And he um, he got he wanted to tell me that he had gotten this ride for himself. He went down to see a part of town that had all been renovated recently. 
he went and had lunch at a, a restaurant that had just opened there and he used the um, app to call his ride to bring him home. And he was absolutely thrilled with this. And, you know, of course, he had his phone with him, so that if he got lost or anything happened, um, if somebody knew where he was because they could locate him through the phone. But he was absolutely delighted with this independence and made the most of it after that. That's great. What a, what a what an inspiring story. And I think, you know, kind of the last question on that, on this whole topic of resilience, how – you know, how do things like sleep and diet and exercise either help or hurt um, someone's ability to be resilient uh, during the pandemic and living with low vision? Like, how, how how do those factors come to, you know, interact? All of those things are interconnected. Um, exercise is really important. Uh, you have to keep moving. Um your body kind of seizes up, really, if you don't keep moving. And we all know that if you've been sitting for a while and you stand up, everything's stiff. You get out of bed in the morning and everything's stiff. The temptation is to kind of give in to that and just, oh, gosh, it hurts to do that. I'm not going to do it. And really what you have to do uh, when you feel that stiffness and the slowing down and your joints are a bit stiff when you haven't moved for a bit is to get up and move um, because that keeps your body healthy. It protects your cardiovascular health. It protects your, your, your brain health, um, and it also uh, protects your mood. It helps you stay well, and it helps you sleep better. Um, so sleep and exercise are uh, very interconnected, and um, there's a lot of evidence that, um, that getting more regular exercise as you age helps minimize cognitive impairment and helps maintain function for longer. So um, I tell all my patients, get off the couch, walk around. Even if you're sitting on the couch all day watching television, get up every 20 minutes and move. Um, and it's been hard to go outside, you know, with everything that's going on. And people, there's actually evidence that, that people have become more um, what we call deconditioned, weakened uh, physically by uh, having sat at home for the last couple of years and not being able to go out and do the things they used to do. So you really have to make a conscious effort to get yourself up and moving. And you don't have to run a marathon. Just get up and move. Um, obviously, if you can go for a walk, that's even better as you can go for a regular walk every day. And, and, and that is an opportunity to have social, a social event because you can go for a walk with other people. Um, and that's that's a twofer. Um, so the other thing is the sleep is really important. And some people get in the habit of maybe watching TV late at night or, you know, being on their iPad or their iPhone or whatever uh, before bed. And even with impaired vision, those screens can interfere with your, your sleep-wake cycle. So you're better off to stay away from them and have a quiet uh, bedtime routine so away from screens and a relaxing hour or so before you go to bed. Um, it's, there is evidence that sleep and, and cognitive function are, are interconnected. And in fact, it's been discovered that while you sleep, your, your brain actually is working. It's clearing out um, toxic byproducts of neurotransmitters that are broken down. And it, it actually is, is thought to maybe reduce some of the amyloid that can build up when people develop dementia. So, you know, getting some sleep, it's not a luxury to sleep. Although it feels like it sometimes if you don't sleep well, but it's a necessity. So if you're sleeping poorly, the key is to, to have a, a, a structured daytime routine. Get some daylight. Even if you have impaired vision, get some daylight because the daylight can actually help uh, set your circadian clock, so to speak, and it can help you um, sleep better 
and the exercise will help you sleep better. Um, now, at, uh, food, uh, they say food is medicine, and I agree. Um, again, it's been hard for some people to maintain um, healthy diets because it might be hard to keep fresh food in the house if they can't get out. And that's a real issue for a lot of people. Um, I, I would say avoid fast food as much as you can. Try to um, try to learn what you can about foods to um, foods you enjoy that are good for you. And I, I'm, I totally uh, am opposed to diets and all that sort of stuff. I, I think that, uh, and I also think that it's awful to feel deprived. Um, so, you know, doctors often will tell you, you need to lose weight, you need to, you need to, uh, oh, avoid this, avoid that. And what I prefer to think about is, okay, what can I eat that I like that won't hurt me? And, you know, you'd be surprised. There's a lot of stuff out there. That's a whole other um that's a whole other topic that I think um, is worth worth pursuing. But um, you could change your your taste for food as well. You can change um, you can change your 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 palate uh, to finding foods that you actually didn't think were so nice that actually maybe aren't so bad after all, and that you actually quite like them. And I'm not talking about eating celery sticks or carrot sticks all day. You know, there, there's a long way between carrot sticks and a McDonald's cheeseburger, you know, <laughs> and and you know what I mean? So yeah. uh, it's uh, worth that's, searching that's, for that. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. And so, Dr. Johnston, uh, you know, it's, it, as always, it's it's just so, so rewarding to talk with you. These these, these topics are, are so important. You've given us a lot of really good specific advice. Uh, I just want to conclude today by asking you, are there any, uh, you know, great lessons you learned over your career or one recurring piece of advice you'd like all of us to know? I was wondering if you could sort of conclude with some sort of uh, overarching advice to, to, to wrap up today's conversation. Yeah, I think people are often more resilient than they give themselves credit for. And, and and people can often change in ways they didn't think they could. So So the piece of advice I would give would be to keep moving, Keep learning, keep your brain open, keep open to ideas and, and flexible, and keep engaging with activities and with other people in whatever way you can. And uh, well, I'd say avoid smoking and, and, and uh, indulging to excess in, in, in uh, other substances as well. Take care of yourself. Well, thank you. This has been a, a great conversation, Dr. Johnston. appreciate you taking the time to be with us today, and it was great to hear about the work that you're doing in Baltimore, and I think a lot of that work and, and your observations and lessons are apply to people all, all over the country. So it's, it's been really good to, uh, to, hear, to hear that. And, and again, on behalf of Bright Focus and, and all the listeners, just want to thank you for uh, not only for what you do, but for taking the time to, to share it with us today. You're very welcome, Michael. Thank you so much for inviting me. Great. So uh, on behalf of Bright Focus Foundation, this concludes today's Bright Focus chat. Uh, thank you very much for being with us today. Goodbye. The information provided in this recording is a public service of Bright Focus Foundation and is not intended to constitute medical advice. Please consult your physician for personalized medical, dietary, and or exercise advice. Any medications or supplements should only be taken under medical supervision. Bright Focus Foundation does not endorse any medical products or therapies.